Well, Happy New Year, everyone. It's good, uh, it's good to, uh, of course, always see you here. It's good to have a full church. Um, I remember back to uh, the two years that I lived in Rome, and uh, I lived right in the, kind of in the cent- center of the city, uh, very near to, if you know, where the Trevi Fountain is and uh, the Vittorio Emanuele. Anyway, you probably know. Of course, everybody knows the geography of Rome. Um, but anyway, it was right in the middle, so it, there was a lot of activity. And um, I, I don't know if the Romans just like to protest, or I was thinking about it, and I thought, well, maybe it's just, you know, I'm, I was in a capital city, right, by the houses of government and, and everything. So this is where it kind of be like Washington, D.C., where you would see a lot of protests. And uh, the, the word for protest in Italian is manifestazione. So there would be many manifestazioni, plural, um, around Rome. And it was, it was kind of annoying because, you know, I had to walk to school, both ways uphill, by the way. <laughs> there are seven hills in Rome, and I had to cross two of them. So technically, that's true. Um, so it was about a mile walk to, to school, and I had to cross all these landmarks, and there would be often these manifestazioni. And uh, so the Romans would come, they're very loud, you know, with signs and, you know, all kinds of stuff would, would be happening. There'd be, and then they'd bring out the helicopters, and the helicopters would be circling. It was a big, a big to-do. And... You know, everybody knew what was going on. You couldn't miss it. It was loud and signs and singing and chants and it was a big deal. The whole point of it was to draw attention, which is why you do such a thing. It's why you do a a protest is to draw attention, a manifestation. Well, that's what epiphany means, a manifestation. The whole point of these manifestations that we hear about with Christmas, with the Epiphany, with the baptism of the Lord, are meant to draw attention to who Jesus is. That's the whole point. And today at the Epiphany, the manifestation, attention is drawn to Christ by these uh, the, the, these pagan wise men who come to do him homage, right? Gentiles, um, non-Jews. And the main, the main message that today is given to us is that the Messiah did not come just for the Jews, but he came for everyone. So this manifestation, this epiphany, If there's one thing to remember from today, Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is meant for everyone. And so the the gifts themselves, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? We'll just review that. They all designate something about who Jesus was and is. Gold, you give gold in tribute to a king. Incense. Right? You use incense because the smoke rises to the divine Godhead. 
So incense is given because Jesus is God, right? And myrrh, which is a burial spice, Jesus was also fully man, and he would die. So the three gifts represent something about who Jesus was and is. A king, God, and man. Now, all right, so if you just remember that, you're fine. But I'm going to talk some more. Of course. And I'd like to, uh, because these manifestations of who Jesus is, then naturally gives rise to what's called Christology. This is an easy one. Ology, study of, Christ, study of Christ. It's an easy one. Christology. Pneumatology is harder. Um, but Christology, it's easy. We understand what that means. So, who is Jesus? So I'd like to focus on, on two things about Jesus. I mean, obviously, he's meant for everyone. As what? As Lord and Savior. He's the Savior of the world. But he's the only Savior of the world. There is no other Savior. So, the two words, singularity and universality. Singularity, he is the only Savior. Universality, he is everybody's Savior. But there is only one path to salvation, and that is through the one who has saved us. There's no other way to be saved. This is clear teaching by the church. This is what Catholics and really all Christians believe. You might say, well, I don't necessarily believe that. To which I would say, well, that's not my problem. But I've got to fix that. Um, this, is, this is the clear Christian faith for centuries. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. There's no other Savior. But the reason we might say, well, I don't know if I believe that, is because we know people who either aren't practicing their faith or they're not Christian. And it naturally gives rise to questions of, well, what about all the non-Christians? Doesn't, doesn't God want to save them? And we have to remember that in the, in the Catholic tradition, we have certain things revealed to us about what God is doing, but that doesn't mean that he can't do other things to achieve his goal. So what we know is that it has been revealed to us that God saves people through Jesus Christ. Well, what about all those people who don't really know Jesus Christ through no fault of their own, through, you know, just their historical or their, their, their context that they live in? Well, it doesn't mean they can't be saved. It just means that we're not sure how God does it. But however he does it, it's through Jesus Christ. By whose death their sins, just like our sins, have been forgiven. Does it mean they can't be saved? Of course not. It just means that if it happens, it happens through the action of Christ. There's no other action. There's no other death. There's no other sacrifice that remitted their sin. So there's a, there's a singularity to Jesus Christ as Savior, which is to say he's the only Savior. He's the only path to salvation. And so however God works it out for other people, we don't necessarily know. And the church doesn't say a lot about that. But it does say we have a loving God and an all-powerful God and a God who wants everyone to be saved. And it would be a strange God to believe in that would, you know, consign the, you know, the, the billions of people who aren't Christian to the depths of hell. 
right? It seems as though an omnipotent and op, uh, omnibenevolent God, all-loving, all-powerful God, will find a way for people who, who truly seek the truth and want to find him. I don't think that's difficult for us to come to that conclusion. That's basically the position of the church. So singularity. Secondly, universality. Um, that Christ is meant for everyone, not just a select few. There's no quota of people who will be saved. There's no specific number. Jesus is meant for everyone to be accepted. Okay. We'll handle some other things next week at Baptism of the Lord. But I think the ultimately what we need to look at, I mean, all of that head stuff is fine. It's important that we know it. But ultimately, Jesus comes as my Savior. I mean, our Savior, but my Savior. And if until, until I get to a point personally where I understand that he has come for me, not just the collective, you know, he's come for the world. Well, that's true, but it's also somewhat, uh, I don't know, it's not very personal. And, and our God seeks that sort of personal relationship. He, he's clear about that. He seeks that we know that he has come to save us, that our salvation is already happening even. But what it takes is my yes. So you read in the scriptures about uh, different stories about who's saved. And Jesus often uses a story about people being invited. And the ones who aren't saved are the ones who are just too busy. They didn't necessarily do anything wrong. They, they just can't be bothered. They can't be moved off their spot. They can't you know, they, they, through an, there's no act of the will on their part to accept what is free. And because the Lord has given us free will, he won't force us to love him. I mean, that's a strange thing anyway, right? I mean, if you think about, think about your husband, you know, maybe. I wish he loved me better. Well, what if you could make him? Well, it's contradictory. You can't make someone love you because lovingness or the act of love is a free act. It must be a free act. It can't be coerced. And so any kind of coercion isn't love. The desire to coerce or the attempt to coerce isn't love either. But even if we could coerce, that's not love either in return. And so we've learned this because of who God is that he doesn't coerce us to love him. Because we might wonder, well, why isn't, why isn't God more sort of obvious? You know, why, is, why doesn't he do more, uh, more sort of grand statements about his presence and what he wants to do? Well, to do so, in a sense, would overpower our freedom to choose. What he wants is a choice. And I don't think we ought to presume, I don't presume, that just because we are in church means that we've accepted this gift in the way that Jesus wants it. Because a lot of times people go to church because of coercion. And you might, if you're you know, nine years old, you might be saying, yeah, Father, what's that about? 
Well, remember last week when I talked about obedience? That's what that's about. But, but a lot of times, you know, once we get older, we, we need to be coming to church out of freedom, out of a desire to be in union with Jesus, out of a desire to give our hearts, out of a desire to receive what he has to give us. It needs to be more than, you know, coming in, uh, what are, what's the old requirement? The old requirement of, you know, what's the least I have to do to fulfill my obligation, my Sunday obligation, the least you have to do is get here before the gospel and you can't leave until after communion, right? And so there's a lot of people, especially in the pre-Vatican II church, but they still do it. Some of you are planning it right now. <laughs> Which, if you think about it is, and I'm not trying to shame you, I'll make fun of you a little bit, but, but if you think about it in a relationship, right? Imagine, imagine your, uh, well, I'll pick on the women this time, just to give the men a break. Imagine your wife coming to you and saying, honey, you know, I love you, but what is the bare minimum I need to do to show you that I love you? Because that's all I want to, you know, I mean, if I just cover the bare minimum, is, is that, are you going to be happy with that? It's, a, it's not really the kind of relationship any of us want to enter into. And so it's important for us to think about that as we're coming to Mass, as we're responding, as we're, as we're singing, as, you know, as, as we're looking at what time we get here or how we prepare. Or, you know, and I get it. People are late, kids and all the rest, and sometimes you've got to leave I, early. I get that. You know, there's human stuff. But then there's apathy, and that's different. And the Lord is not after apathy. He doesn't want apathy. None of us want apathy in our lives let alone the most important relationship that we have with, our, with our, heavenly, our heavenly God. And so it's good for us to look at this and say, okay, Jesus has come for everyone, and he is the only Savior, but he's come for me. He knows me intimately, and he wants to be in relationship with me intimately. What am I doing to bring that about? What am I doing to accept that and to encourage that? And if I give more, if I do more, what great blessings might there be that God desires to give me? Please stand.